Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Bradley Cooper's new romantic musical drama, A Star is Born. Mr. Cooper pulls double duty in the film, also starring as Jackson, Jack Maine, a seasoned musician who falls in love with a struggling singer and actress named Allie, played by Lady Gaga. Allie has just about given up on her dream to make it big until Jack coaxes her into the spotlight. But as Allie's career begins a meteoric rise, Jax takes a tumble as his own internal demons take their toll. A Star is Born marks Mr. Cooper's directorial debut. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Cooper spoke with director Jason Bateman about appearing on both sides of the camera while filming A Star is Born. During their conversation, Mr. Cooper discusses his sonic portrayal of the rise to fame, the challenge of shooting the concert footage in actual festivals across the US and England, and his approach to directing and acting with Lady Gaga. Wow, thank you. This theater's beautiful. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Pretty great, right? Thank you. I mean, they all stayed. They can't hate it. Um, well, I, I really don't know where to start or how much time you've got or how much time you've got, but um, that was my second time watching it, and it was even better the second time. I, I was telling Bradley backstage, I, I cried four times. Twice was because I was so proud of you, and twice because it was just those, those, those scenes that kind of got me. Um, uh, I, I am, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm an aspiring actor or director. I can't do that. I can't do that as an actor either, but, um, I, I just, I, I'd love to know, um, a lot about your, uh, pardon the term process when it comes to directing. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot up there. That's, that's a big friggin' swing for your number one movie. I mean, that's. Um, pardon me. Um, so, uh, prep, I would imagine, was extensive. Yeah? How many weeks did you have for prep? I mean, there's, it's hard to answer that. First of all, thank you for doing this. Uh, and you're wrong. You're an incredible director. And <laughs> I learned from you. Thank and you. I'm sure you've all seen his work, which is just kind of mind-blowing. Um, uh, I had a tremendous amount of prep. I mean, soft prep, you know, the, it, it all sort of blurred together. I mean, the truth is I had four years to work on this thing um, and, and two and a half of it to prep. So, so it was, a, it, it's, you know, composition and shots and sonic elements and character it, it, and then just it, it, at begging people to come along this journey with me that I'd worked with throughout the years, like Jay Cassidy, who I met on Silver Linings Playbook he and was just the, the editor. That. that We were in the trenches for that movie in American Hustle, and Shelley Ziegler was the first AD then, and Karen Murphy, this incredible production designer who I, who I met, and she did Light Between Oceans, that Derek C. and France movie that I thought just had a level of authenticity that's hard to get. Um, 
and and Matthew Lebatique, who Jennifer Lawrence says the best cinematographer she ever worked with, and and uh, he and I just hit it off. So it was just you know all of a sudden getting these people that that wanted to be a part of it when I was sharing them sort of the ideas and the the elements that I wanted to examine, and then just working and working and working. Um, when you went through the writing process, and I'm I'm sure you will say that you did very little and the others did a lot, but because um, you're humble, but um, I, I would imagine that as a director, you had a pretty heavy pen with maybe not so much dialogue, or maybe yes, but as you started to sort of visualize the film and decide what you're going to show versus what you're going to say, what you're going to create with tone or atmosphere versus music, dialogue, performance, all, all that combination, that, that privileged position of, of, of director where you get to play with all of those, those little sliders and you can decide who's going to carry the water and, it wasn't, and, it, and in what ratio. Um, was that part of your sort of soft prep, your early prep when you were, when you were working on the script? Were, you, was there, were there shots that you were designing that you were incorporating into lines of action and descriptive paragraphs and whatnot? I don't like to write down a description of, like, uh, in, in the script. I like it to be as, as minimal as possible because then I don't feel like I have to be married to it. Um, but it, it, it all starts for me sort of with the visual composition of shots. And, and it, it's, it's weird. It's sort of like the cart before the horse. But um, it, and one thing inspires another. The truth is the whole opening of the movie, what I pitched to Warner Brothers was like the first 10 minutes, and that's what sort of uh, got me the, the green light to go and at least try to start writing the movie, but not green lighting the movie itself. That whole opening, we, we never even shot. So, but that was the fuel for, and we prepped it and had a week, you know, we only had a 42-day shoot, so that was a big week. But then as we were shooting the movie, we jumped on Stagecoach, and we had eight minutes. The opening of the movie, we actually had eight minutes on a real live stage uh, at Stagecoach. And, it, and I asked Jay Cassidy, you know what, this feels like we really captured something. I don't know if I could do better than that for an opening. And I saw it and I thought, well, that ticks, checks all the boxes of establishing who this guy is. And I wanted to deal with fame sonically, only sonically. I didn't want to have like any sort of montage of her rise, press conferences, paparazzi chasing them, nothing, crowds, but just the this, this sonic element of fame, which to me is a, a cacophony of noise and then silence. So the opening is like... And to me, that's sort of the idea of fame. You're in this room and there's tons of people and there's all this energy and then all of a sudden you're alone with your know, Cheez-Its. <laughs> That you're giving Grumberg to your driver. and a bag of Cheetos. <laughs> um, what about? Um, and I'm I'm pulling out my. I've got ten questions. Um, um, but no dialogue was key. I, I, I is a huge part of it. I mean, I mean, having something to say and a way to say it so people listen to it. That's a whole other bag. That that is a major thread of uh, one of the things I wanted to examine in the movie. Um, and, uh, and the 12 notes thing, Will Fetters wrote that in a very early, uh, version of the movie when we were working on it. And that, that, that stayed all the way to the end. And that was also a huge anchor for us dialogue wise. Well, it's, it's going off your, and the your... lyrics too. I mean, that's the other thing. The lyrics in the, in the, in this art, in the songs are to me, dialogue, they're, they're all story. We don't sort of go off in these little eddies, this little, there's a musical interlude and then we're going to come back to the movie. You know, the first thing is black eyes open wide. It's time to testify. There's no room for lies and everyone's looking at you. I mean, that's sort of, here's Jackson Maine. That's what he is. That's what he has to do every day now. And, uh, and then you see, well, it's not, doesn't quite have that same thing for him now. 
You just reminded me that you played Jackson Maine. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm looking at Bradley. I'm not looking at Jackson like that. It's just great acting up there. You, you, uh, Thanks. You, I mean, the haircut helps, but. Um, so, so having some. The wig. Uh, having, I'm joking. Having, having something to say. And, and then what's the rest of that line? The, the way it's, in which it's. Having something to say and a way to say it so people listen to it. Right. How much of that, without getting too too cheesy, how much of that kind of fueled your effort with this as a, pardon the term, artist and wanting to direct and act and um, not comments on fame and all of that garbage, because that's all kind of private, but um, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure, I'm asking you, um, is, is directing something that you see as more complicated and more difficult than than acting and that that difficulty also lends itself to complications that are also uh, end up being much more specific and so the thing in the ch the thing that you want to say you can say more specifically and that is that a draw to directing that well i mean if there's two I, it sounds like two different questions i mean the the one thing about being complicated to me it's only more complicated if i'm not prepared if i'm not prepared it's very complicated when you're actually doing it but if i'm prepared it doesn't feel complicated at all it actually feels very joyous and um and freeing um absolutely you have more you're able to have something to say in a way to say it if you're directing the movie and co-writing it no question because i'm not at the uh, I, i'm not at you know at the, the arms of somebody else you know as an actor we 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 serve the director that's our job um and and you hope to in in your moments of doing a scene together accomplish what it is we want to accomplish but in terms of <laughs> sorry i just love that song um <laughs> Ringtones are very telling. <laughs> Tell me your name. <laughs> um, anyway, you know. Uh, but uh, tell me about tell, tell me tell me tell me about tell me about prep. Tell me tell me about you you being very prepared and therefore it wasn't super complicated. I know a lot of prep goes out the well, window the, on the day. One thing I would just say is that in terms of the process, I think the one thing I can say is it, it to me it. Like, for example, this thing of having something to say. I didn't necessarily know that that was what was going to be a thread of the movie until I started writing it. But I don't know what you feel like, but if I'm working from a personal place in every aspect, things just sort of come up. And then you have this idea that's very deep. Like, for example, in the grocery store, when I was a kid, me and my friends used to always go to Gennardi's was the supermarket. And I used to love the bear, you know, the little... Um, borders in between cars that you could sit in and me and my friends would sit there because the cars would be there we could kind of hide and I always wanted them to be sitting on that thing no reason there was no sort of story point I just thought I have a deep feeling about these two characters sitting on that little thing because I, I remember what that feels like and then all of a sudden that is is that little idea then you just sort of work from there and there was all these things these personal things visually uh, that I find that it feel when 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 I allow those things in and then use those things to work on story, it feels like I'm not doing it. I'm just kind of receiving it because I think that even because all we're trying to do as an actor is get out of our head, right? I feel the same way about writing and the same way about directing, and even editing. Quite honestly, if it's a cerebral exercise, you're you're a little screwed. You know, it really is trying to create something where you, even as a director and a filmmaker, are a vessel for whatever the thing that's going to, or channeling something that's coming through you. I know that sounds kind of like highfalutin or like mystical, but, but that is, that's when it feels the most uh, 
creative. And when and then I watch and I go, yeah, that that feels that feels like it's it's hitting me here as opposed to here. I, I yes, but many times that becomes for any and all of you that have spent time on sets, um, it all goes sideways really fast. You know, like you can prep your nards off and then you get there on the day and that actor doesn't want to sit there. They want to sit over here. The sun's in the wrong spot, the, et cetera, et cetera. But and I would argue that there's a many ways to skin a cat. Yeah. And if you know what your story is from a deep place, that actor not wanting to do that, uh, you'll, you'll find a way to make that work because you know exactly what it is, what you, what you want. And, and all you want, that the only reason why you cast that actor, and I do mean you, sir, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the only reason you want to cast that actor, <laughs> sorry, I was just saying, my mother points all the time. I'm not a big pointer. I thought, why am I pointing? Um, where is it, Gloria? <laughs> where, Gloria's in Philly, uh, my mom. Um, uh, uh, you, every, that's, by the way, the other thing about directing, probably the most uh, uh, gratifying is that you get to cast the movie. And um, so every casting of a choice, I knew that uh, if I could just get that person to be completely open and willing to trust me and to get and to make themselves vulnerable and then risk, they could be, you know, hanging from the ceiling and it's going to work to story because there's, I know exactly what I need from them. Okay, but you... <laughs> You wrote it, you, you prep it, so you see it, you hear it. I mean, we all do that when we read a book. You know, you're like, you just, it, it shot perfectly in your head, right? It just instinctually. Then you get on the set, and then that incredible actor um, embodies that character. You many times have not seen that actor give a sample of that character, because they didn't audition, let's say, potentially. Um, well, I, I don't know, I mean, I, some of those actors probably did, but some of them... I don't like to audition. I mean, Eli Kazan, right. in a life, he talked about how um, the way he likes to audition actors, he takes them for a walk around the, the, his office, around the lot. And I, that, that's what I believe. You know, I really do think it's what Jackson says. You know, talent comes everywhere. Everybody's talent in one thing or another, but they have something to say. It's like every single person has something. And if you just tap into their truth and let the talent come out. Um, so, And I, I always find that in an audition, it's hard to tell... I can't really see it because they're 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 so they're working on so many other things. I'd rather just get them relaxed and look at them and have a conversation, and then I could see are these sort of things that I could use to help tell the story I want to tell. So, the, but did you find that to be a comfortable process for you to inevitably see that line read, that scene played in a way that no way can be a perfect target of how you've always seen it in your mind? Were you able to to pivot? Oh, and, I mean, and receive. I mean, the. the I saw this documentary that Mike Nichols did right before, soon before he passed. It was an interview, and he talked. They asked him, "How do you how do you approach directing?" And he said, "I approach directing the same way I approach acting, which is I prepare, 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 show up, and throw it all away." And I remember feeling so happy about that because I thought that's how I approach acting, and I and I feel like I will be the best director for myself and utilize whatever I have to offer by by doing that. And all, many times, and we had. We were, we were very restricted by budget and days, so there was a time limit on everything. And um, and but but I you know if, if I want to shoot something in this room, if I walk in there and here and I'm like all of a sudden those two exit sides are interesting, maybe I'm going to change the way I want to frame it. Uh, I I allow myself the privilege, of, you know, the the capacity to do that. For example, that scene when they're having breakfast after they make love the first time. I wrote that scene to be in the bed, and we shot it, and and it was exactly how I, I had imagined it, and I just knew. The other benefit, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think it's easier to act and direct than to just direct. Because you're on the field with the actor, you're, so you know what's working. And you don't have to deal with that 
guy. Yeah, like especially, he's, <laughs> he's like, he's reading your mind every take. I don't know how he does it. Especially in the editing room. And, and you don't have to explain to him why you cut his shit out. Um, <laughs> but but we, we did it and we had, and this is the part of why I love this process so much, because it is a collaborative process and everybody is just as important. We had about 10 minutes left to make our day and we couldn't go over because of budget. And I just sat there and I talked to Matt and I said, I'm sorry, I know, I know, but we, we have to, we have to, how about we do a one-er? They're eating breakfast. Is, is room service still open in this hotel? Mike Sexton was the saving grace, the prop master. And he went and we just waited there for eight minutes. We're all sitting there waiting for the room service to be delivered. They're running up, we're throwing, we wanted two of, I wanted two of everything. And then, and then we just, I set up the shot with Scott Sakamoto and I wanted a dolly track. And then that was the shot. Thank God, because I love that scene now. And in the bed, it didn't work. And that was something that I changed right on the fly. And uh, that's also the things that I love about making a movie because you really feel like we're all in it together. We're all like in a huddle trying to figure out, is this the best version? Can we do better? Great. So, so with the exit sign example, right? So you come to this location, you see it the first time, you go, yeah, yeah, well, the DGA auditorium could work. Let's go see a couple of other auditoriums. You go see a couple of other ones. No, DGA was the right ones. You go back to this location a couple of weeks later. Yes, 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 bring some of the keys. Now you come and you tech it. And when you decide, are you at that moment deciding what your composition is going to be? We're going to come in that door versus that door, this door versus that door. Are you walking around with Maddie? Are you by yourself? Just Are you taking stills? Um, does that then change? You go back to the production office and you storyboard or you shot list? Yeah, I don't like to storyboard. Warner Brothers wanted me to do it, and I did it for like a, a week, and then I thought, this is a fool's errand. Um, I just, it, it doesn't, because I don't know, that doesn't, I, for some reason, because I look at it, I'm like, well, that's not really it. And then it's like, then we're going to spend all this time just getting the storyboard right. And I'm like, why don't we just shoot the fucking thing? Um, but, <laughs> sorry, not to take any away from the art of storyboarding, but for, for some reason for me, it, it's, I start thinking about like the, the movies, the storyboard. Um, but um, I, again, to story, into form always has to follow function. So I wanted, Jackson's house is a perfect example. And also, through necessity comes creativity. And, and, and um, I, ha I went to the Innes House. The, you know the Innes House? The, they shot a lot of Blade Runner there. It's the Frank Lloyd Wright's a beautiful building. And I, th I had a dinner there like two years ago, and I thought, oh, this is Jackson Maine's house. Worst idea ever. Would not have worked. Would have ruined the movie. But I was sure that this is the house at the time. It was way too expensive. I was like, wait, this guy's crushing me with the money. It's half our budget. And so we had to lose it. And then this other house came up. But I always knew I wanted hallways, and I wanted a chapel-like environment because I want him to come home after rehab almost like like in, an, in a church-like environment thinking that he could be saved by her and there's the Leon Rose sign that like so he's almost praying to the altar there's that proscenium shot and I wanted hallways uh, Cassavetti's always shot stairs and hallways and I, I just love that idea of, of and even growing up a lot of things that I observed was from a stairway or from a hall with my parents so you just go into a space if you know what you want then you can just utilize the space to accommodate what the story is you've already mapped out in your head so it's so it's so great. I mean, there's there's a lot of directors have different ways to work, as 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 you know well. Um, and and but there I there have, are sorry, I'm talking too much. Yeah, but no. so, so this is your time to <laughs> right, talk. Right, right. <laughs> but there are there, then there were sequences that were comp that that there were that were rigid. Like his death was there was it was it's a wonder. 
Um, and it was, and there was Who's no, death? uh, Jackson's yeah. yeah. From the time he comes out of the truck all the way till he closes the garage. I just cut a little bit inside of it, but it's all the same take. Uh, that was there was no room there was no coverage there was nothing like that her her rise her, her journey all the way up to the when they sing the duet together yeah. that was all very specific that i that, that actually was my first I, cry what's that that was my first, first cry. cry so so those things were very th- th- there were certain elements that were like i, I was not going to budge that that is true and so when you take these when you take these specific sequences of images yeah when you have a coverage plan let's say the night the night before, during prep, and the night before, and then you go in there and you go, okay, probably going to open, I'm going to open up tight here, and then I'm going to slowly back up, and maybe the last shot's going to be wide, or vice versa, whatever it is. Throw all that stuff into editorial, Jay starts getting the dailies in, he starts assembling that scene, maybe he sends it to you while you're shooting or not, and when you see the assembly, whether it be a sequence while you're shooting, or maybe when you sit down after principal finishes, and you watch what an incredibly talented editor like Jay Cassidy is, you, I would assume that somebody that credentialed, that talented, that unique, you wouldn't want him to be beholden to the order of your images, the way in which you shot them. You want to empower him, deputize him, to go nonlinear if he feels it or whatever. So uh, what, what was that conversation? Was there one? Uh, and, and, and if he did give you any scene that was out of order that you covered it out of, right, d- were you open to seeing something with a, with a, with a clear mind, uh, w- like an audience's perspective with no preconceived notions? And, and did that receive well? And then did you go, I love that. Can we please put it in the order that I shot it in and let me just A, B that? What, what is that process no, for you? That's a great question. I mean, to me, not only Jay Cassie, but every single crew member... Uh, is, is worthy of letting their, their art uh, flourish as much as they can. And it, for me to, to somehow put that in, in some sort of prison would be stupid of me. Um, so not only Jay, but uh, the writers that I work with, the actors, the crew, Maddie, I, I want them to go, go for it. And then I can always bring it back. But the whole point is I, they, they need to feel free to, 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 to feel like they're worthy and they, and they have a voice. And, that they, and I want them to be excited every day when they go home. And the, and not and as and it, again, this goes back to prep because I was so clear with what I wanted to tell. I could choose what I wanted to use from that, and we can have discussions as to what that is. Uh, and and very often, an idea will have they will have will, will be better than the idea I had, or will spring a new idea. Um, you know, and even like the the rehab scene, for example, I asked Jay to assemble it because that rehab scene, you know, wasn't written, and then he breaks down the thing, and it's something just kind of really happened that day. And I never felt comfortable with the way that I had written Jackson's death, which was very different than what it was in the movie. I always felt like this just is not real. It's not real. Um, and Jay, I said, Jay, can you send me back the, that rehab scene? Thank God we shot it before, before we were shooting the death. And <clears throat> because he had edited in such a way, I then pitched to Toby Emmerich. He was kind of to come to my house and I played him the scene and I said, listen, I think that Jackson's going to have to go this way. Um, and then I, and I, cause I had had, I had, I had thought about what that shot would be. And, and he was, and he was bold enough to say, okay, go for it. Um, but that was all because of, I let Jay do his thing. And then that, that, that allowed me to then go to Warner brothers and say, look, I, I mean, this guy's going down. 
you know, and he's not going to go down the way we wrote in the script. It just doesn't make any sense. Because you felt editorially it was teed up so well that you could be as beautifully disciplined and tamped down as you were with that image just through the garage pane with just slight swaying, just Maddie lit it just so, and you could just, you could you could almost not see it, and then you did, and it was just, and it was heartbreaking. It was really... And, almost the, and the other point is like almost, you don't even need to see it. I mean, the hope is you know what it is, you know, just when he, you know, you know it. And if you don't know what Charlie tells you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, staying with, with Maddie for one more question. Um, you're on set. Um, you say, okay, uh, camera is here. Let's, let me see a 25. And you say 25, yeah. And let's, we're going to start here and we're going to boom down to here. And um, then maybe we just pan off under her and it becomes that. Uh, great. Go ahead and light it. Let me know when you're done. Or is it... Do you kind of like, here, take a look at this, and you show them the finder, and you say, now, do you say your version of that? Because, again, you want to engage Maddie's talent, and would he then look at the composition and say, well, I like what the frame is, but maybe we back up, put a 75 on it, and it's the same composition, but we can I mean, I was always open to talk about that. Um, but, again, because time was of the essence, especially concerts, like, for example, that first one was eight minutes we had to shoot, and Glastonbury was four minutes. There wasn't much talking and and that was and so it's always good that there's a singular vision. And I think Maddie and I had developed a, a we, we had spoken a lot. We watched tons of movies before, and so he was really we really were speaking the same language. That it, that conversation did not happen very often. Um, and and I was pretty clear at, at things that I wanted to get, and he wanted them too. Um, so I felt like we were doing it together. But there wasn't one I, there wasn't one day where we had a fight about a shot. Yeah. Not one. And how, how, how were you about going back and checking the monitor, checking never, the playback? Never. The only time I had to check the monitor, because I, I don't, I, I, to me, shooting a movie is all about rhythm, the, the actual shooting process. And if I've done my work, I know what the shot is. And also, having been an actor for so long and not going back, uh, you, you have to learn where the composi what the composition is so you, ha so you would know what the playground is, right? I mean, you, you discuss that, that with the operator or the AC and you say, I mean, you know, your relationship with the camera operator is everything, yeah. you know, as an actor, right? That's who you dance with. Yeah. Uh, and Scott Sakamoto was the, is, the, is just a killer. I mean, I found myself, quite honestly, looking at him <laughs> more than the actors when I wasn't directing. I would just be like, I can't, you're, you're just like, you're like Brett, you're like, you're like uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov, the way you're moving around. Did he do, I, did I he mean, steady cam the, as well? He did, oh yeah, the steady cam. He, I mean, he operates the steady cam as if it's on a dolly track. I, I don't know how he does it. It's just, he's just the greatest. Uh, okay, what about color? What about um, contrast? Yeah. What about, I mean, how much of the palette was predetermined? Um, how much of it did you did you adjust in the DI later? Did you stay pretty much where you wanted to be? I mean, on here's set? the thing about being able to shoot digital. In my, I mean, I know that Chris Nolan would kill me, but uh, I, you know, I really find that it's just in, immeasurable the ability that you have in the DI. And Stefan Sonnenfeld was, he's an artist. Uh, there's a the, lot of grain the, in that. Did you, did you put in grain or yeah, texture? Yeah, there's a film anything? thing that you can yeah. do. Yeah, and, and then we colored within that. But a blue and red, I mean, these are characters in the movie, uh, and they're reflective of the characters where they're going and Maddie and I had talked about that or, you know, up in my roof when we first met. I said, here's the, here's the color palette of the movie. Um, and, 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 when we, and here's the idea of the use of flaring uh, with the concert Yeah, the footage. flares were, seemed anamorphic at times, but, but no, was there, was there glass on the camera that were... Sometimes, yeah. sometimes, yeah. We did shoot anamorphic and sometimes we didn't on stage. But, um, but, but uh, you know, those are all things that we, this idea of uh, creating a language that we both were speaking so that we could then go and make the best use of our time. 
and score. Like, I, I, is there a, the only no, there's, score? There's two I, moments of score. There's, when you go there's, in the shower, there's, there's drums. There, there's percussions over the the shower, and then there's two piano stems of the last song that we have at two moments in the movie, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing. You know, it's working when there's no music in it. You know, aside from the stuff that you. Uh, um, God. Do I have anything left? Uh, well, listen, you know, she, um, I'm sure you're not sick and tired of answering questions about her because she's so incredible, but I bet you're getting a lot, I, I, so I apologize. She's so excellent in the movie as an actor, but so uh, indisputably adorable, and there's a quality that you can't act. So I would imagine, A, she's a really beautiful person. True. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this notion of chemistry and, and that kind of stuff, um, I'm sure you would agree, you can't have chemistry with anyone that's an asshole. Like, she's, she seems like she's pretty, I mean, not, this not is like one of like the all-time nicest people you'll ever meet. So I imagine she matched you with that, and then it just kind of became, not to take anything away from either one of your performances, but it, it takes care of a lot if somebody's no, not it's a jerk. true. It, it, it not not just kindness, but openness. The way you are, you know, you could tell when you look at somebody, and certainly you as a filmmaker, I'm sure you look at faces and eyes and voice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Let him finish. <laughs> uh, and she she had all that. As do yeah. Not I mean. I just want to say all everybody else I feel like has the same thing, but she because she carries the the burden of the whole film. Um, she is magical, and when I met her, that's when I knew there was no question, there's no movie without her. And all I thought at that point was, if I could just get her to open up, but what I didn't realize is just, just the degree to which she is uh, able to be in the moment of a scene and listening. Um, and, and I only was really able to, to experience that by being an actor with her. And really the thrill of acting with somebody who's really listening and then all you have to do is just react to, that, that that's like what you hope for. Um, and so because of that, we were able to explore so much. And, you know, it still blew my mind every time I would go to the side of that stage and try to drag her on. And I really fully believe that she had never been on a stage like that. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how the fuck is she acting this? You know, I mean, she did the guy. Super Bowl last year and and she does not want to come on the stage dude and I mean like the, the, there were many times we did it like four times I mean many times she just fell on the floor and I had to like drag her and then it just got too weird um, but she you know that's incredible and also I have to say you know her ability to act while she sings is just insane I mean to me my favorite acting of hers in the whole movie is that last song and I purposely didn't want to watch you know soon after he dies the movie ends I didn't want to have this sort of all these moments moments of grieving and his funeral and the thing and packing up the house. It's like, I wanted to, and it, it was a tall order. I want, I want to see all of the grief. I want to see anger before that because this character punched a cop and it's like, she is who she is and she's angry at this motherfucker. But, but, but the main grief is in the song and I was just blown away by, and I was right there. It was just, you know, I always knew it was going to be one, one shot and it was Scott Sakamoto. So she's right where you are and I'm right with Scott and we're like here and I'm just with Scott moving, and I'm just watching this. And the only thing I told her was, at the end, I just want you to look right in the lens. And she's like, right at the map box? You know, because she, she didn't know about all that. So she said, like, you mean the top of the map box, right? I mean, no, no, in the lens. That's the only thing I said. And I just watched this incredible performance. Uh, and you said just a little bit of welling on the left eyelid, not on the right one. <laughs> on the key side, I want it just to crest, because that's what she did. She uh, like, uh, yep. Unreal. 
was unreal. It was unreal. Um, do you think that you would have, uh, do you think that it would have been, I would imagine she was uh, comfortable with you directing her in the scene, in the moment, in between action and cut. So camera's rolling, you're talking, you're doing the acting, you're doing the scene, she does a line that you feel like, oh boy, I, I love what she was doing there, I'd love her to do a little bit more of that. Would you say, do that line again, and you do it in the voice, and you stay in character and whatnot, and like, do, but like that intimacy of it, do you think that you kept her in there? Like in other words, would it, it would have been you'd more have difficult if her. you were in the village. I mean, you know, you'd have to talk to her, but, but I think that everybody trusted me enough that I, that I look, I, I, I have come from doing three movies with David O. Russell who, who will tell you what to say and how to say it. And While I you're love rolling. it. And, and I love it. Uh, and, and Robert De Niro loves it. And, um, and I think that I gained their trust enough that uh, I wouldn't even be like, Ken, you said, I would just say what to say and then she would just say it right back or, or give her something or, 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 or we would or take the conversation somewhere else to come back. I mean, it's the flow of being, it's the ability of being a director in this scene as an actor. That I just felt that was invaluable. It's like the greatest seat ever. Like you're in the front row with them. Yeah, yeah. and you can help drive it um, and, and, and see what they're giving you. Um, but very often she would just surprise me and then I'd, I would just, you know, it was just sort of a, it was a, it was a symbiotic uh, occurrence that was, I mean, for example, I didn't tell her that I was going to say that horrible line uh, about you're just fucking ugly. Um, and, and I, and we did two takes of it and, and I, and they were, re I, I believed them. I didn't think there was any, I, I bought it. Uh, but I knew that Jesus, I mean, this is, we, there's certain things you have to hit. And if we're going to be honest in this movie, you, you, we got to go there. And, I didn't know what she was going to do, and she did it. But I was hoping because because I had set up the shot that I wanted him to leave and close the door, and we didn't have enough room in the hallway. So actually, we cleared out the closet, and so Scott Sakamoto we put laid down track all the way in the back of the closet and put the eyes. So Scott Sakamoto had to go all the way back. So I knew the shot I wanted, but I was just praying that she was going to stand up. But I didn't tell her to stand so that, up. So that that scene was not cross covered. You did it one side at a time. Yeah, no, no, that was cross covered until that last moment. And you last reset moment, for that. The reset. And we did the, the whole scene in the reset because I just wanted, I didn't want to just, you can't oh, do yeah. that last moment. So we cross covered the whole thing and then we did it all again with one camera as a two shot, which then was going to be her getting up and him closing the door on us, the audience. And I was just hoping that she would do it. And, and her reaction was incredible. I mean, it was just, and that's just, that's, that's the testament to her talent as an actor. She was so in it. Um, I mean, it was a horrible thing. And we, we, luckily we love each other so much. Because she really was not acting, you know. I didn't. I believe she was just being as Allie. Um, but her instincts are just incredible. When you have an actor that has these kind of instincts, I mean, as you yeah, know, she didn't slow down at all. No. So there was a lot of great overlapping and conversational sort of texture throughout the whole movie. Was did you? Was there a coverage strategy of of, of cross coverage? And I do cross coverage as much time? as I can. Yeah. And it never, I mean, Maddie, like, didn't look like lighting suffered at all from... No, especially because, again, form follows function. A lot of the cross coverage, I, I, a lot of that was because I also wanted to place you, the viewer, at, at various points in their relationship. Like, for example, in the cop bar, you're, a, you're almost the bartender. There's a, there's a big wooden plank between you and the two characters. But by the time, as they get closer, you're at the, you know, the little barrier in the grocery store, you know, outside the grocery store we're French overs and we're just, you're, you're sort of like getting close. You're almost in between them. And then that, then you're literally in between them when he's, when he's wrapping her hand, you know, with the peas. And so it, it really, it, it, it actually wound up being great because it, 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 it was, it was functioning the story. Yeah. All right. Lastly, um, you, I'm so sorry about the reviews in the box office. Um, 
uh, but you're gonna land on your feet. And um, has the incredible success of this film, not only in public perception, box office, and also execution, given you the added kind of confidence and energy to, I know you wanna do it again, I know you're gonna do it again, um, are you finding that you're feeling like you want to even take on something bigger, harder, more complicated than you even thought before this movie, during this movie, and even after you saw it all cut together? And I mean, are you feeling uh, a never-ending momentum of uh, sort of positivity and taking on more than you think you can even handle? Because that's always been such a great quality of yours, is that you know, you are you're confident without being arrogant. You you know and love crew and cast and your audience. And are, is this the kind of jolt that I that you deserve that I want so badly for you? And if you're going to scare yourself in a particular lane, do you know what that lane might be? Is it like effects? Is it you know animation? Is it like I mean, I, I don't I don't know. But are you feeling like? Screw acting, I just want the hardest things ever in directing You know, and, and, and never thought about, like, uh, diff level of difficulty at all. I mean, um, I didn't... Because you can do it. But, but thank you. But I didn't, I didn't want to make the fourth or fifth, really, remake of this movie. Uh, I didn't think about that. I just thought, oh, shoot. Oh, wow, this is not a great idea. <laughs> but but I, you can't help what moves you. And this property felt like the perfect... Uh, um, sandbox to examine these things that I want to examine cinematically like family and trauma and love and finding your voice and um, this experience right now feels very calming because the truth is I was really scared that I was um, putting something so personal and, and fear that people would just think I'm in like you know oh it's like uh, what, what are the things you're talking about like they're so trite and but they mean so much to me and so it, it's been vulnerable. So the fact that, that uh, people seem to be uh, receiving it, like movies for me, they've saved my life. Movies have inspired me and they've healed me and they do to this day. I saw Roma two weeks ago and I, like, I was convulsing. I was crying so hard. And, 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 and I, it's like a, a beacon of light in my existence as a human being. And it, to me, it brings people together. So I, I, just, I knew that if I was ever going to be a part of this wonderful profession, that I have to work from a very deep place and risk people laughing at me. Um, and I didn't know that if I would ever find something else that, that would move me in a way. I have found something else, and I found it way before this movie came out. So I'm going to try to do it. It feels like it's a lot harder than this movie. Um, but but I, wouldn't, I, I didn't think about it like, oh, I want to try something harder. I didn't know if I would ever make another movie because I could only do something that I feel that I have a point of view about and there's something, there's a reason why I feel like I need to tell it and not somebody else. Well, you've always been very open and very honest and very vulnerable and very human. Um, and the ability to get that quality from here and from here and then out here to a cast and to a crew and through all the tools and the trucks that you're given to do that and make it three-dimensional, put it up there and send it out here and shape it. A singular experience for all, from, for all these people that were in a different place today. No one knows anybody in here. The fact that you're able to take that very small, evergreen quality that we all have, that small little place in us, and make it something big. And it's not about fame. It's just about finding your voice, being open, being human. That's why this film resonates. Please keep doing that in, on a, in any subject, 
big movie, small movie, space movie, animated, whatever. Just keep doing what you're doing. I, I just couldn't be happier for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming, you guys. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming weeks as awards season approaches, including Q&As from Allison Chernick and Paul Greengrass, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally 